0: We never wanted to be in a fancy metropolitan broadcast facility where the most thought provoking thing within view is an occasional four car pileup on the freeway below. We like being miles from nowhere in the middle of a vineyard that cannot be seen from the little two lane road on the other side of that rise. Our barn has awesome acoustics and was built with hand tools over a hundred years ago. Nonetheless, we've got some really state of the art broadcast technology inside. And our wine cellar once a root cellar that is absolutely packed with wine we've collected or been given by friends. Welcome. You have just set foot on Grape Encounter's radio property, where we don't believe in no trespassing signs. But let's make this our little secret. Oh, and that wine is protected by the sweetest-looking golden retriever who dated a Doberman for a while, so don't get any ideas. wash me some ice skin me a peach save the fuzz for my pillow Talk oh
1: man time voice. for your weekly grape and counter and nice. anytime and i mean anytime i can have a guest like today's guest in the studio. It is a great day for me. One of my heroes, superhero, as a matter of fact, is here. It is Adam Lazar. He is a god in the wine business. He has made so many famous wines and a lot of wines you probably don't know he makes. But I have been talking the last couple of weeks about fake wines and, you know, how to differentiate wines based on price. And, you know, that's the road we've been going down. I'm going to wrap it up. I'm wrapping it up. But I really felt like after last week's show that I didn't quite get there. And I wanted my buddy Adam in here because Adam tells the truth. Plus, Adam said something. uh, We were together at a winemaker's place. I don't know. Maybe it was like three weeks ago. Adam said something that really blew my mind. We were talking about Cabernets. And Adam said, as a judge, he's been a a long time judge. And he says, I don't think I've ever had a Cabernet that was 100% Cabernet. You did say that, Adam, right? Well, I'd been
2: drinking, so. Uh,
1: <laughs> you know, Chicken. It, it, <laughs> You said it.
2: Okay. I said, well, you know what? But I I was probably also talking about uh, perhaps some local Cabernet. Now, there are some local producers that I know for a fact produce 100% Cabernet. But, you know, when you're looking at a wine like Cabernet, Cabernet is king for a reason, is that in many places where it grows well, Napa, you know, Sonoma, Alexander Valley, it's a complete wine from start to finish. You ferment the grape out and you get into the barrel, put it to bed and, you know, there's no real holes in the wine. Grapes like Petit Verdot, for example, uh, really don't have a lot of start or middle but it's all about finish. It's the big monster tannins in the back end. Cabernet Franc is all about mid-palate, you know, so different varietals bring different things to the palate. Where Cabernet, like Pinot Noir, uh, is a complete wine, it, if it's grown in the right place and made correctly, doesn't need a blender. Now, that being said, I think there's a lot of places that don't make a complete cab, and it requires some blending. And being a judge uh, like yourself on the international circuit for many years, and having made these wines for a long time, you start to develop a, a palate to be able to identify the types of blenders that people are using in Cabernet. And there's a number of common ones, you know, the Aussie-style blend, which is to blend a little Shiraz in. Yeah. Which is a really great, it's a fantastic blend. And, I mean, and, and obviously by, and by the
1: way, when you mention that, it's very interesting because, I, I'm going to guess, like about ten years ago, one of the first real blends that we Started to see on the shelves was from Australia mm-hmm. and it was Cab Shiraz. Sure. Oh yeah, the, that Lindem- the, of the, the
2: Lindemans that came over. That yeah. was one of the first fabulous and, wine. And mm-hmm.
1: I and I used to buy that. And there was a wine called uh, you might know it Ballbuster. I'm not making this up. It You're making a, that up. No, I'm not. And it was Cab and Shiraz, and it was one of the first twist caps that I had ever encountered. And uh, I got it in Newport Beach, and the guy said to me, "You got to try this." this it, was is-
2: it a Molly Duker wine or something? It sounds no, like a name that they would no, use. It's not Molly
1: Duker. It was just – it was Derrenberg. called The Ball Buster and it's still around and it, it actually opened my eyes a bit to the whole idea of blending mm-hmm. because I was thinking, who would blend Cab
2: and Shiraz? Right. But it was good. Well, you know, I, I, blending I, – it's so funny. Over the last several years, some people come up to me and they're like, you know, I really love this idea of blending, putting something in Cabernet or blending something with Merlot and I'm like, well, it's only been done for a thousand years. It's not really a new concept. You You know, in fact, the whole single varietal thing is really kind of a new concept. You put something on the label. Yeah, but in
1: in our generation, seriously, if you think about it, from our parents' generation to, uh, you know, certainly the first half of our generation. Mm-hmm. you would go into a wine store blends were not easy to find now if you were buying french wine it was a french bordeaux that was a different story right. and it's kind of interesting when you think about it that the french kind of looked down on the crazy blending that we do now but it there was a time when blends only took up a little tiny bit of the shelf even though i uh, you know let's, well, be, let's well, wines that are labeled as blends as yeah i mean to... let's let's be fair there were things like you know gallo hardy burgundy that right were buying by the tank load. <laughs> Yeah. And those were blends. It wasn't really a true Burgundy, I think, if I'm, well, I'm not mistaken. pretty
2: positive that the uh, Central Valley I don't know. is you not You know, hey, hey,
1: look, and I'm, not, I'm not criticizing it because if I could sell a million gallons of something, you know, I'd be happy, you know, all day long. Yeah, no,
2: no one's done the wine business better than Gallo. Those guys are...
1: But seriously, if you went into a wine store, blends were a little tiny bit of the shelf. Right. But, uh, anyway, going back to the point, you and I both judge and you're sitting there and you know in your heart... That wine is not one hundred percent Cabernet.
2: Yeah, so let me let me lay out the legal parameters that we use as winemakers, as set forth by. Put
1: your your wine badge on.
2: Putting my putting my the wine badge on because I know
1: you are an honorary wine sheriff.
2: I'm. I am a, today. I'm. A, I. I was a god earlier. That's. A, I well, yeah, wonder if I can the, use deity you know, in well, my. No, no, no. My, you're you're uh, a god,
1: but this is now. A, we're getting into the legal stuff, and you're we'll a, into, a wine So, so yeah. for
2: for your listeners, so uh, for a wine in the United States, part of the code of Fe- federal regulations, uh, Title 27, Section 4, that dictate uh, standards uh, for wine, uh, what are legally acceptable standards? So to have a varietal. That is uh, the grape variety on a label, and this wine comes from a defined viticultural appellation, Napa Valley, Paso Robles, Russian River. Now, I'm not talking about San Luis Obispo County or California on a label. Those are political appellations, but a viticultural appellation. Here are the rules. The wine has to be 95% vintage. So 95% vintage. So it says 2015 on the label. It can have 5% from another year in there. It has to be 85% uh, from the appellation that's listed. So it says Paso Robles. 85% of that wine has to come from Paso Robles. It means you can use 15% from Santa Barbara or Napa Or Oregon, because it is a contiguous state. All right, so here comes the big one. And here's the big one. A wine only has to be 75% varietal. So if it says Cabernet Sauvignon, it can be 10% Merlot, it can be 5% Cabernet Franc, it can be 10% Alicante Boucher or Syrah or something else. You have wines that have things like blueberry flavorings added to them, and there's there's something that you have to say on the label. But... So that's the basic thing. Now, if the wine has a political appellation, so uh, Napa County, Monterey County, or the state of California on it, the wine has to be 85% vintage. So it says 2015 on it. It can have 15% from another year, which is actually really cool. It has to be 75% Appalachian. All right. So
1: here, here's the deal. We're going to come back, and then everybody is going to have to take a test. Mm -hmm. And if they don't pass the test, you know, from all the stuff you just spilled out there, they're not going to be allowed to listen to the rest of the show. Oh, darn. (laughs) Listen, you know what? People cling on your every word, Adam Lazar. My guest is Adam Lazar. You know, I didn't get a chance to get into his credentials, but oh my gosh. Talk about a guy who is a
2: superstar. He consults all over the world. <laughs> People hang on to everywhere oh because you can't gosh, hear snoring on this side oh of the radio. Oh my
1: gosh. And he has made some of the most famous wines of all time. We have a bronze statue of Adam that's like, it's just Adam with a fig leaf it's a grape leaf actually isn't it (laughs) Adam is a rock star a superstar and talk about a guy who loves his metal music okay we'll get into that too we'll be back with more grape encounters but I do want to make sure to recognize sponsor for the long foreseeable future it's a winery that I am so proud of because it was built by literally my oldest friend Uh, we went to first grade together if you can believe that his name is John Wagner he and his wife Jill have built Peak Ranch and that is in the the Santa Rita Hills of the Central Coast of California. It's not because this is a friend of mine that we're talking about the wines but let me be really, really clear. I learned of these wines and read about these wines and the huge scores that they were getting. And John is somebody I don't get a chance to talk to more than uh, once or twice every couple of years. But, you know, here's somebody that I've known forever, but I hadn't realized that our paths were crossing in the wine industry. And he's just literally released some of his first wines, and they are raking in some amazing scores. I mean, just completely off the charts. I I've had the wines, they're among the best coming out of that region, and partially because the grapes are being grown on a very historic property that you might know from the movie Sideways. So go to peakranch.com, order yourself some Syrah, some incredible Pinot Noir, and you know, I'm, I'm not always the biggest Pinot fan, but these Pinots, wow, big wow, Chardonnay, big wow. It's peakranch.com, that's P-E-A-K-E, ranch.com, so check it out, and we'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this.
0: The best way to avoid spitting wine is to avoid wines unworthy of being swallowed. David will be right back in a spit second. Oops, my bad. Make that split second.
1: It seems like a day doesn't go by that someone doesn't tell me how lucky I am to be able to taste the multitude of wines that I get to try as part of my job. And while that certainly is true, what is also true is that a great number of wines that I do taste just don't cut it. That's why it gives me so much pleasure to tell you about the wines from Peak Ranch, made in the San Ynez Valley on the central coast of California. As exciting as these wines are, I'm especially proud of the fact that they're produced by my oldest friend of all time, John Wagner, along with his charming wife, Jill. John was always the smartest kid in school, and I was always just a tad bit jealous of his determination to be the best. So when I found out that he was the producer of these utterly fantastic wines, I wasn't the least bit surprised. From their remarkably elegant Pinots to their perfectly balanced Chardonnay and luscious Syrahs, it's no surprise ...that the wines produced at Peak Ranch are simply as good as it gets... ...and they have the scores to prove it. Log on to peakranch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E, ranch.com. You can buy their wines online... ...which means it'll be the best time you ever spend on the internet.
3: Go to peakranch.com. In Greek mythology, we learn the mysterious connection between walnuts and wine... When Dionysus, the god of wine, fell in love with Princess Caria of Laconia, her sisters tried to prevent the romance, so Dionysus turned them into rocks. He also turned his beloved Caria into a walnut tree. She was, after all, a hard nut to crack. free trade chocolate-covered walnuts, and for bakers, MM Organics produces 100% gluten-free walnut flour, estate walnut oil, and of course, their crazy delicious raw walnuts. Get all their products online at mmorganics.com. That's mmorganics.com.
1: I love it. I love it. I love it. It is going to be Wine Song Weekend on the Mendocino Coast of California, September 7th and September 8th. Enobytes, which is one of the most influential wine websites in the world, calls it America's Best Charity Wine Event. I say it's America's Best Food and Wine Event, period, for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is that it's held in the beautiful Mendocino Botanical Gardens. You have to see them to believe them. But you also have to see and taste the amazing food and the huge selection of wines from all over the place, but mostly coming from Mendocino County, where some of the best wines in California are made. This event benefits the Mendocino Coast Hospital, which services a huge area. It does so much good for so many people, and it is so much fun, and it is something that absolutely has to be on your bucket list. September 7th and 8th, you can purchase your tickets online at winesong.org and you can learn more of course about the event there as well you'll see from the photographs that it's the place that you want to be this year you also won't want to miss the silent auction and the live auction on saturday it's so fun so amazing and i'm so excited to tell you that I have two really, really exciting auction lots in this year's event, so you won't want to miss that. We'll see you at WineSong. Again, get the information at WineSong.org And remember, no matter where you're from, people come to WineSong from all over
0: the world. We'll see you there. In the immortal words of our host, David Wilson, show me a pretentious wine drinker, and I'll show you his new Tesla and the date he's hoping to impress. I beg to differ, sir. My palate is incredibly refined. Welcome to the world's most down to earth wine show, (sighs) Grape Encounters. Here's your host, David Wilson.
1: there's absolutely nobody in the wine business that I love more, respect more, that I love having on the show more than Adam Lazar. He makes some of the most legendary wines. I'm going to put you on the spot, Mr. Adam. Now, some of the wines that you've made that people, you know, no matter where
2: they're listening to us, they've seen the wines. Well, I've been blessed to have been associated with some pretty popular brands.
1: (laughs) Okay. So cycles gladiator. Yeah. Okay. Talk about that.
2: Yeah. So that was a brand that I was, a, a part of the creation of back in the beginning of 2005 when I used to run Hanna State's Winery up in Monterey. And it was a, uh, a value wine replacement for a little tiny brand called Rex Goliath that we had started two years previously. Now both
1: of those exist still, right? Oh yeah, yeah. No, yeah,
2: uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Another a very large successful company bought Rex Goliath in the end of 2004. Where did that name come from, by the way? Can you visualize the poster or the label? The giant 47-pound rooster?
1: Yeah, Okay, so yeah.
2: that was actually a four-foot by five-foot circuit poster and it was all done on canvas from the turn of the century the previous century that is uh, it was hanging up on the back wall at a bar called I think it was a pick and shovel up in the Sierra foothills and our label designer who was working on a new rooster themed label because Hahn, uh is German for rooster so uh, oh, he, I, I didn't know that yeah how about that that's okay. why I <laughs> have rooster birds everywhere. So uh, he he saw this and took a photograph of it on his phone, and that photograph became the label. It was really cool. And we, we, did, we, we had some fun did the, the- tweaking the label a bit. I think <laughs> myself and my assistant winemaker were, were – I think we were sitting on the floor in one of the offices up at Han one evening drinking tequila, and we came up with a couple of really cool changes for that. I mean there was nothing any fancier. We didn't require any giant expensive focus groups, marketing teams. It was just a really great label, and it ended up becoming one of the first critter labels and, and just blew up.
1: Okay. Explain Critter Label because that's a concept that we know, but I think the average consumer is Ah, kind of oblivious to.
2: So there was a period of time when I think people started to become weary of the whole spent, tired paradigm of the vineyard and the boring label and this incredible story of – Just words on a page. Just words on a page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, this company out of Australia brought in a wine called Yellowtail and had a kind of a fanciful kangaroo on it with really cool colors and kind of a a tribal uh, thing and it took off, and right, right about the same time, we released Rex Goliath, and animals became a thing. And so uh, that was probably the start of what became over the next ten years. Everyone was releasing labels that had these really cute or cool or weird animal. So concepts are you saying on them.
1: that you were the founder of the Critter label? Oh no basically? no 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 no! I'd say Yellowtail was, but we Yellowtail were probably was, okay, number, right. we were
2: number two in the market.
1: You you must have been neck and neck with them in terms of. I know they're a huge company now. Yeah, uh, but you. Must must have been neck and neck at the time.
2: They went pretty. I mean, they blew up pretty quickly. Yeah. You found their stuff at uh, Trader Joe's and a bunch of other places, and it was very reasonably priced wine. And we went from zero to over a half a million cases in under two years. So, with what, that brand.
1: What, what makes a wine like that blow up?
2: Well, I think one because the label looked really great. But you know, What's the a key. Bad, bad reason. Yeah, I was just giving. I was just bad giving. Bad I was reasons, giving a lecture at UCLA last night. And we had this discussion, uh, and the two most important things in the wine industry that my old boss, Billy, had had taught me, there's two things. A, you have to have a really great business card, and B, it's got to be in the bottle. And when he means it's got to be in the bottle, the quality has to be there. You can get anybody with a really cool kitschy label to take it, take a, a bottle home, but the issue is, is can you get them to buy a second bottle? So it's got the quality has to be there. And one of the things I learned early on, I worked with a great consulting winemaker, Barry was how to blow up a brand quickly and not only maintain but also increase quality of the wine as the brand started to explode. And so it was a great uh, learning experience for me. Like I said. We sold the brand in December of 2004 and started Cycles Ladiator, which is not a critter label unless you think of a naked redhead on a bicycle as a critter. And that was a really great story because that, too, was an old poster from a bicycle company, Gladiator Bicycle Company, from the 1890s and it was during that time period, there were about 150 bicycle companies in Paris and they all had these beautiful Belle Epoque right? advertisements featuring... So
1: like, like Cinzano, but for bicycles.
2: Yeah, well it had, it was, they were, yeah, obviously they were selling bicycles, kind of but feel. these advertisements yeah, yeah. were aimed towards women and they had either women in various stages of undress, which meant liberation. They had uh, women you know, carrying a baguette in one hand, a bottle of wine and, and with a big grin on her face going through the vineyards, and it was because Susan B. Anthony at the time had been passing through. on. She was on the rural suffragette tour, and she had said that in the paper that, you know, the bicycle was the greatest contribution to the movement at the time because it allowed a woman finally to get out of the house, to get away from an abusive husband, get away from the kids, go meet up with her friends, go get a job. How cool is that? So all of these ads, including Cycle's Gladiator, which is a very iconic poster for uh, triathletes. You go into a bike shop, you find it, you know, often you find these things up on the wall. So, yeah.
1: by the way, there's the sexiest picture of you. with <laughs> yeah,
2: Naked you can, with a no. r- wig and riding you can't a bicycle? Even, you can't I do not even recall the photograph,
1: but there's you holding a, a can. A can. Whose can? Cycle's glass.
2: Oh, a can of wine. Sorry. Yeah,
1: like, what the heck? You know, it's in a can. But it's actually pretty darn good. Well, first of all, wait, I've got to ask a question. No, let's not ask a question because we've got to take a break. Okay. Right. Yeah, we totally so digressed the, off the original No, it's alright. It's okay. You know what? If I want to digress, I will digress. We'll be back in just a second with adam lazar wine superstar and uh i might even let him tell you what he's sipping i, I gave him a glass of wine in a big boy glass you let me open up whatever bottle i wanted in i your said shop he, yeah and you could walk in the shop i said you open up whatever you want and i'll tell you what he picked in just a moment with grape encounters radio
0: at grape encounters we're all about sharing That's why it would be a crying shame if you didn't join our Facebook group page. Just search for Grape Encounters Radio on Facebook. It's where we're constantly sharing the latest wine news and information while you're waiting for your next episode of Grape Encounters. David will be right back as soon as he's through unfriending anyone who doesn't love wine. Oh, I guess it's going to be a very short break.
3: The Central Coast of California is world-renowned for exceptional wines, but it's also one of the most vibrant and alluring travel destinations in America because the wide range of things to see and do here is absolutely astonishing. From stunning beaches to breathtaking hiking trails to world-class dining, artisan craftswork, and so much more, California's Central Coast is addictive. For those visiting this magical region, there's no better place to call home base than the city of Atascadero. Atascadero is perfectly centered in the middle of everything you'll want to see and do while you're here, a true slice of Americana. The locals here are eager to welcome you, and the accommodations are plentiful, comfortable, and affordable. Atascadero is a a 365-days-a-year destination with mild winter weather and mostly sunny days even when the rest of the country is bundled up. For more information about the warm and welcoming town of Atascadero, log on to visitatascadero.com. Discover the California Central Coast at visitatascadero.com.
1: It seems like a day doesn't go by that someone doesn't tell me how lucky I am to be able to taste the multitude of wines that I get to try as part of my job. And while that certainly is true, what is also true is that a great number of wines that I do taste just don't cut it. That's why it gives me so much pleasure to tell you about the wines from Peak Ranch, made in the San Ynez Valley on the central coast of California. As exciting as these wines are, I'm especially proud of the fact that they're produced by my oldest friend of all time, John Wagner, along with his charming wife, Jill. John was always the smartest kid in school and I was always just a tad bit jealous of his determination to be the best. So when I found out that he was the producer of these utterly fantastic wines, I wasn't the least bit surprised. From their remarkably elegant Pinots to their perfectly balanced Chardonnay and luscious Syrahs, it's no surprise that the wines produced at Peak Ranch are simply as good as it gets, and they have the scores to prove it. Log on to peakranch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E Ranch.com. You can buy their wines online, which means it'll be the best time you ever spend on the internet. Go to PeakRanch.com.
0: They say wine is a truth serum, which is why you'll never hear any fake news on Grape Encounters Radio. Here's David.
1: And with me in the studio is the Spider-Man of wine. (laughs) He is a superstar. He's a rock star. You would have been a rock star if you hadn't gotten into wine. I, do you well, play instruments?
2: Oh, yeah. I, I, what I, do I you played, play? I played uh, guitar for years. I still have a dozen of them rotting in the back of my closet right now. Oh, no. It was, we should hang them here. I, in the, in the I, I, played, I played in, in a power trio. That's a, a term younger listeners don't know, but once upon a time, it was pretty fashionable to play hard rock. I have bands like Rush and Triumph, and it was a three piece band, and you played like five instruments all at the same time. It was really cool. And I played out in upstate New York, and I uh, just didn't have probably the patience or discipline to stick it out. So you went into a business that takes ultimately more patience
1: and discipline than probably anything that I can think of.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I love love music. You know, my wife Angie and I, our family vacations, we go around to heavy metal festivals around the country. And I love all music, I'm not just heavy metal, but there's an energy obviously associated with So hang- what do
1: you do at a, a metal concert? Do you get all decked out and... Do you oh,
2: wear to, you, have you wear, wear leather? Oh, there's a protocol before going in there. You have to prepare for a lot of stuff. A, first and foremost, you're going to be standing on concrete for six or seven hours. Okay. So you have to have shoes that work. You're going to get hot. Uh, you're going to get jostled. You know, there's certain things you need to sneak in to keep yourself hydrated, to be prepared for a lot of stuff. And it's so funny. You know, I grew up studying orchestral percussion, piano, classical guitar. I love great jazz. Some of my favorite bands, Todd Rundgren, I love some of the, a lot of the older rock. Or the, the real Todd instrument. The real, yeah, the real songwriters. But uh, the, the nicest people you will meet are people at a heavy metal concert. That, no the, even, even in a mosh pit. The hard rule of a mosh pit when people are running around in circles and banging into each other, if someone falls down, the crowd parts and people go to pick that person make sure they're okay and then you go on again so
1: what is the relationship in your mind what is the relationship between the music and the wine and especially you know you're talking heavy metal so
2: how does that relate to your wine because it, there's got to be a connection there is a guttural Attraction for music as there is wine. You don't need heavy metal to survive. You don't need music to survive. You don't need wine to survive. So these are things that just make your life better uh, from a real guttural perspective. You know, wine I think makes your life better one dinner at a time or one glass at a time. And conversely, music, in my case, heavy metal, it, it just makes the day. You know, it impacts your impact senses. Uh, okay,
1: but 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 you make very refined wines and you know if I was thinking about heavy metal I would think of something more gritty and you know heavy and harsh in a lot of ways and that's not what you do So what is the connection between the two? They seem almost like polar opposites based on what I've tasted in your wines
2: versus your taste in music. Well, that's 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 actually really funny you say that because music like wine is very subjective. You know, why does somebody like this style of music? Why does somebody like this style of wine? And the wines that I like, um, I don't like them to be harsh. I like them to be lush. I like them to be seamless from start to finish. The music I like, there's some heavy metal that is so abrasive of that I cannot listen to it. It's not it's not a, a blanket statement. I love heavy metal. I love certain types of uh, So give uh, me the three. Genre. Give me three. Oh goodness gracious. Big fan of like kill, switch and gauge. I like all that remains. I love kind of a power metal metalcore punk uh, band A Day to Remember it's on my iPhone at the gym right now, <laughs> okay. and it's, but it's fun and it's refined and it, and there's nothing really harsh or aggressive about it. When you listen to it, very polished. This is really funny because the smoothest, most beautiful wine
1: that we ever have sold in the Grape Encounters Emporium, which is the companion to the show where uh, you all come out and hang with us, was a Merlot mm-hmm. made by you. What
2: was a year on that. A I love 50, uh, 2010, 50, and I love ten, I love how ten, we're yeah, getting. Yeah. I love the segue that you're building up in to right now but there are a segment of the wine drinking public and it's a very small percentage that loves these weird rough aggressive wines and they convince themselves that these things are are unique and sexy probably because they want to be different i can think of another style of wine that i'm not going to mention on here because it would piss a lot of people off but there's nothing sexy about it at all I mean, I'm not You're, a big fan of sour <laughs> beers. Uh, why and, am I letting you off on that? I, you you know, know, I have no idea. So just and, and, you know, the, know wines uh, are, I, that I think are flawed, but wines should be sexy. Not all wines need to be food wines, that wines that you have to have with a particular food in order for them to be good. I think wine, something you should be able to crack open, you know, at four o'clock in the afternoon and have a sip of. It has all these flavors and aromatics to it. So, uh, you know, you were so talking it, about. So,
1: so is it balance? Is that what it is?
2: Yeah, I like balance, but it's also yeah. it's got to hit on a. There's a cerebral level that it's got to hit on. You and I both know all these technical terms and descriptors, and I I'm tons of biochemistry and science behind it. But at the end of the day, I just call it yum factor. It's just got to be yummy. Yeah. You know, there's it's nothing you you, you can't fake and it. You, 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 can't you, can't can't, no. you can't convince somebody otherwise. You can say, hey, it's got 99 points at so-and-so magazine. Yeah, so true. And if it doesn't taste good, it doesn't taste good. It's just got to be yummy. So and what so, are you
1: drinking right now? Well, it's so
2: funny you say that because – you know, we, we, we said we, we would reveal that and it's been a while, yeah. You know, I'm drinking, so. um, drinking as a 2015 Molly Duker Merlot. How good is that? I think this is, is massive over-the-top black cherry Coca-Cola and uh, just like the, all the Molly Duker wines are just really constant. And it's got so much stuffing in it. It's almost like a meal in itself. If it weren't yeah, for the it, fact that I actually have to have real nutrients, I would have this all day long. If uh, you get a chance to have a Molly Duker
1: wine, and they do come from Australia, they are so beautifully crafted. This is such a cool family. And by the way, a, a little thing that you might want to know is that Molly Duker means left-handed. And most everybody at the winery is left-handed, which is a really weird thing. And that's why they called it Molly Duker. Did you know that, by the way? I, You know, I didn't. And I'm just and thinking of all kind of weird applications for left hands yeah. right now. Okay. So um we're going to take a break in a second now, but we we're going to spend the the rest of the show talking about how to spot a fake. Okay? Because you made the comment to me a couple of days ago that the you know, you drink an awful lot of cabernet that is not really Cabernet, because 25% of it might not be Cab at all. And, you know, if you think about, you, what what if you put a 25% motor oil in a bottle of wine? I mean, you wouldn't drink it. For you, the would most di- part, you would the, die,
2: and I'm guessing it's Yeah, for the most part, people
1: make good judgments where the, those kinds of things are concerned, but they also make really bad judgments. And I just get so tired of going into wine shops and seeing wines that are not real wines. They tell a story on the bottle, you know, it may or may not be true, right, but it has right. nothing to do with the wine, and people are sold on the wine because of this, you know, little marketing ploy that is put on the bottle. I'm here to save the wine drinkers of the world, and I don't oh, really? care how many winemakers
2: I tick off. Is that why you put on your cape and your, uh, I've got your, yeah, little leotard and I've got my Red Ball, I've got my Red
1: Ball jets on too, right on. But you know what, I don't care if you know what, if I tick off winemakers, then maybe they should rethink think the way they make wine because you can make great wine without uh, turning to your freaking uh, chemistry set you don't need that thing Well, it, and, it's, and, and, oftentimes and animals those, are those is, stories is, it's, aren't
2: it's, created by the winemakers they're created by the marketing teams and that's well I know
1: they do but there's no reason there's plenty of resources out there to make really good wines mm-hmm. you know without having to go to the chemistry set you don't need that and there's no excuse anymore to make no, a bottle of wine it's in the United st- States. Stupid. Those people, I just want to expose them for what they are. They're, you know, they're making wine-based beverages, which is fine. Look, I i don't care. You know, Coca-Cola is, it's got all kinds of stuff in it that I can't pronounce, but it's still delicious. And some of those wines are actually, they're pretty delicious, but don't call them fine wine because they're not. If you've got the right stuff in your chemistry set, you
2: can make almost the worst one in the world taste good. True. Well, I mean, the question is: is does the end user like the wine? You put enough
1: ranch dressing on spam and it's delicious.
2: I love ranch dressing on spam. <laughs> do not, <laughs> you do not do not go there. You do not. Do- Blue cheese are, are is also serious? pretty good. Oh hell yeah, spam is awesome. Oh my god! When gosh. was the last time you had spam? Spam rocks. I don't know. I don't know. Just. There's
1: a reason it's been around for like 100 years. You know, it's really funny. There's uh, all kinds of really cool recipes for Spam. I just haven't gone there. uh, (coughs) Spam sushi, maybe. Okay, all right. I'll be back with my very special guest, Adam Lazar. Like, you know, if I I tried to get into Adam's resume, it would take me the whole show just to go through all of the things he's done. So Adam Lazar, Google him. And he's got his own private label, too. You can check out my arrest record, too. It's pretty cool. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Mostly at mosh pit things. But anyway, um, check out his resume because he's a god in the winemaking business. In fact, there were a couple of times here where I said things that didn't agree with him. I could see the cloud building above my head. I knew the...
2: haven't mastered the lightning
1: strike yet but i knew it was coming i knew it was coming okay more like a fly uh, with more wine god adam lazar in just a second so enjoy something
0: you know i am thor (laughs) okay we'll be back bye your grape encounter with david wilson will continue from our central coast wine country studio in the quaint friendly and historic town of atascadero california don't forget to join our Grape Encounters Radio Facebook group page, where incredibly fun people, just like you,
3: share ideas and frequently get together to share a bottle as well. In Greek mythology, we learn the mysterious connection between walnuts and wine. When Dionysus, the god of wine, fell in love with Princess Caria of Laconia, her sisters tried to prevent the romance, so Dionysus turned them into rocks. He also turned his beloved Caria into... A walnut tree. She was, after all, a hard nut to crack. At MMOrganics.com in Paso Robles, California, walnuts and wine is the ultimate love story. You'll flip over their 100% organic port-style dessert wines and organic heirloom walnut products, including sprouted snacking walnuts in five awesome flavors, irresistible raw organic walnut butter, free trade chocolate covered walnuts and for bakers mm organics produces 100% gluten-free walnut flour estate walnut oil and of course their crazy delicious raw walnuts get all their products online at mmorganics.com that's mmorganics.com The Central Coast of California is world-renowned for exceptional wines, but it's also one of the most vibrant and alluring travel destinations in America because the wide range of things to see and do here is absolutely astonishing. From stunning beaches to breathtaking hiking trails to world-class dining, artisan crafts work, and so much more, California's Central Coast is addictive. For those visiting this magical region, there's no better place to call home base than the city of Atascadero. Atascadero is perfectly centered in the middle of everything you'll want to see and do while you're here. A true slice of Americana. The locals here are eager to welcome you, and the accommodations are plentiful, comfortable, and affordable. Atascadero is a a 365-days-a-year destination with mild winter weather and mostly sunny days. Even when the rest of the country is bundled up. For more information about the warm and welcoming town of Atascadero, log on to visitatascadero.com. Discover the California Central Coast at visitatascadero.com.
0: Like certain wines, he's syrupy, sweet, and has long legs. Here's David Wilson.
1: Well, there's one thing for sure: if you get Adam Lazar in the studio, you're never going to stay on topic. <laughs> you're going to need
2: to edit the hell out of what the segment. What
1: the heck, man? We were going to talk about how to spot a fake, and instead, we, fake
2: what?
1: We, I don't know. We got into everything under the sun, and you know what? I think people are having a great time. But let's get to that subject, okay? Because I'm wrapping this whole thing up. You know who who we had on um, a couple of days ago? Uh, we had Wes Hagen
2: on. Oh, Wes Hagen's the best. Yeah, he's uh, a smart, absolutely and brilliant, smart. He's decent he has the biggest IQ in the room always I know he's scary yeah. and he's got the craziest hair but <laughs> I haven't seen him in a couple of months I don't we're haven't. not going to
1: get into that okay
2: Adam somebody
1: walks into their wine shop package store grocery store wherever you're able to buy wine right okay and let's say there's five shelves okay top to bottom
2: mm-hmm. okay
1: uh, I generally think and try to steer people away from at least the bottom two shelves based on and, you know, basic marketing principles. Well, what they if they doing? only
2: have $6 to spend, though? That's... Okay.
1: That's fine. So, how do I spot a fake?
2: Well... Or do I care? Do, yeah, do, that, do, do I care? Thank you for rephrasing that, because that's... That, that goes to the heart of everything. So... My philosophy in, when I'm making a wine – this is also the same philosophy of what I'm judging competitions is, OK, I'm sitting here and I am judging the Cabernet Sauvignon category. And most competitions will break it up into, say, you know, under $15 or you know, $75 and above. You, you've got some segments that are broken up in there because right. you really can't right, – it's right. not an apples right, to apples right, thing. Right. So for me, when I'm putting together a Cabernet Sauvignon at whatever price point uh, that I have to buy – or when I'm judging them, my job, uh, my responsibility to the person that buys the wine, the consumer, is that it tastes like Cabernet Sauvignon. Now, we have benchmarks, you and I and other wine professionals who are listening to this, uh, for what a Cabernet is supposed to taste like. Now, Napa Cabernet tastes different, a little different from Alexander Valley Cabernet. Tastes different from Paso Robles Cabernet, which tastes different from uh, Argentine uh, Cabernet, uh, and so on and so forth. But it's our job as professionals to know what all of these wines taste like. Right. right? And there are benchmarks that are great in every one of these um, countries and cat- and and counties and appellations.
1: But see, this so, this is the part that blows me away, though. Okay, if I if I brought into the room right now twenty. Shots, Okay. Okay. I handed them 20 chickens. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Not live, you know, prepared. Okay. And I said, go and make me a chicken dish. Okay. You know, one comes back with a broiled chicken. One comes back with a coca van. One comes back with uh, chicken cordon bleu. You know, they're all completely different, but they're all chicken dishes. So is varietal correctness really that important? Because, you know, here you're giving a winemaker, Adam Lazar. Right. These these uh wonderful uh Cabernet grapes and he says, This is what I want to make out of it. I wanna make I wanna make Cabernet Cordon Blue.
2: Yes, and no, I, and I'm gonna cut you off right there. Yes, it has cor- show? varietal correctness is absolutely important. Okay. Now these twenty chefs or fifteen chefs that we brought in, when they're done at the end of the day and they bring in their dishes. <laughs> they all still taste like chicken dishes. You've got this one chef over here, and it tastes like halibut. How are you serving the customer? what t- benefit to the customer that this one chicken dish tastes like? Oh, I would argue smoked that, salmon I, I, or something I, I, I like that. I would argue
1: that I would argue that that um, I would I would actually, as a server, say, "Wait till you taste our halibut chicken."
2: Well, okay, so what an
1: amazing interpretation but, of chicken! But but I'm looking
2: I'm looking at a menu and I've got a choice of fifteen different chicken dishes. I expect them to taste like various versions of chicken, uh, but chicken still has a very unique flavor that we all expect yes and,
1: but, yes but uh but, but but a chicken cordon bleu mm-hmm. versus a coca van okay are so different that if you didn't know what a chicken was you would think that this was an entirely different meat
2: well that's but that's a different discussion do you okay, but, but, right. i mean uh, but, right. so, for, for, right, so, but right. i think our responsibility whether i'm putting together a ten dollar bottle of cab or a seventy dollar bottle of cab it still has to taste like cab now that being said uh we're getting back to blends So not all Fruit. I mean, they're, they're, the, the range just in Paso Robles alone, we've got all these different little sub-appellations. And the Cabernet from the Geneseo region it tastes radically different from the Adelaide region. However, uh, you can still make a great cab, but you have in your library, in your catalog, different Cabernet flavors. And in order sometimes to make your wine taste more like the cab that you envision, it often will take maybe a little bit of Cabernet Franc to beef up the mid-palate, a little Petit Verdot, Maybe some maybe even a little Syrah um uh, to, to as an epoxy to tie everything together. So we use I use blending to make cabernet taste more like cabernet because not all of the fruit that I work with always tastes like a perfect cabernet. In
1: the same way that when I make pasta sauce mm-hmm. and my tomatoes were just not quite
2: ripe enough. Right. And I add a tablespoon of sugar to it. You know what? That's a great Is analogy. Is that a
1: great analogy? You, yeah, you, you
2: get so. it out of the park. So sometimes so sometimes you're required to go uh, but again, we have legal standards that I mentioned earlier in the show uh, that we have to hit. I mean, the, the federal government wants to make sure that there are standards of yeah. identity. When you buy a Cabernet, that at least the vast majority of it is Cabernet Sauvignon. And
1: I, I would rather I would rather eat a pasta sauce that tastes delicious mm-hmm. and go, okay, there's a tablespoon of sugar in there, than a, a pasta sauce that is sour and go, well, I, I was uh, true to the tomatoes.
2: Well, aha. Uh-huh. The tomatoes. So here's here's the kicker. Uh okay. So if – As a chef, you do it correctly, you shouldn't be able to determine that there was any sugar added. It should still taste like that great, uh, super ripe. Right, exactly. And and, and for me as a blender, uh, as a winemaker, if I'm making a Cabernet, I don't want you to be able to say, oh, he had Cabernet Franc in there. He had a little Petit it's
1: So it's about restraint.
2: It's about it's about making a good wine better.
1: Okay, so when I am uh, I'm looking at labels. We only have literally a minute left, but cool. I'm looking at labels in a in a store, mm-hmm. and I see something that gives me the impression that it's a little down home, you know, winery. Right. But it's not. It's you know, it's it's wine made from grapes out of a tanker truck. Right. How do I tell the difference? How can I know? What can I do to protect myself? from the, you know... Well, the s- there's,
2: there's nothing on the label with the exception of the address which will give you any indication. There are certain large wineries that have bottling facilities in certain cities. I'm not going to point them out because I'm not going to piss anyone off, but if you become educated enough, you'll be able to see oh, it was bottled here, therefore it must be made by this one giant company. Uh, it's the same as the craft beer thing. You know, the vast majority of craft beers are all made <sighs> by the three big companies right now.
1: Alright, we're going to be back with Grape Encounters next week. I don't know how we can top this week. We're going to have to get Bacchus in here. You know, that's the only thing I can think of that we top Adam Lazar.
2: So, Bacchus! That's the guy Bacchus!
1: Wine. Bacchus! If you hear me, please send a sign.
2: And, and bring Aphrodite with you. I hear she's
0: smoking hot.
2: Okay.
0: Your Grape and Cotter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition.